Just a heads up that this podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania where this podcast is made and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122. Or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1-800-RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains some legal information which is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. It's just so disheartening that they have not learned that that women are important, that they have to be respected. You know, they are human beings and they have the rights. You can't you can't control them or you can't tell them to go back home. We have talked a lot in this podcast about control and how it's common that abusive relationships usually start with one person trying to control the other who they see, what they do, how they spend their money. What about controlling how they think? When it's put like that, it almost seems too obvious that a difference in culture or religious or spiritual beliefs can lead to abuse. A type of abuse that people have told me... All really goes to the very identity of somebody uh, and what makes them who they are. Yep. We've got more to talk about. It's Penny Terry here again, and on this episode of Rule of Thumb, we're going to learn how to talk about those things that maybe we sometimes avoid, because checking in with a friend or colleague about their cultural or religious decisions, particularly when you don't share those beliefs, can feel awkward or not your place. Penny, this is one of those areas that I really struggle to talk to with clients. Um, If I don't share a faith or if I don't share a culture with that person, it can feel like there is a huge divide between us. As a lawyer, I go back to the law and I go back to those elements of emotional abuse and talking about what family violence is. Um, But we really do need members within those communities, within those cultures and and spiritual groups to be taking a stand or to be um, stepping up and leading in, in relation to these types of conversations. Now, you might recognise a few of those voices if you've been listening along to our series. That last one is Elise Whitmore. She is the Principal Solicitor at the Women's Legal Service Tasmania and a little later on she'll take us through the legalities of cultural and spiritual abuse. And it's not necessarily easier even if you do share someone's beliefs. Would you know how to lead in those types of conversations? Would you know what to look out for as signs of abuse? Family violence expert and counsellor Torna Pittman, who we've got to know pretty well during this series, says, like with all forms of family violence, it's probably happening without us realising. It's so common, it's so much more common than what we think. There's one woman who couldn't go to her church. She couldn't speak to those people that she had made friends with and were her community from that church. She had to let go of her family because they were in that church and he didn't like that. She had to go to his church and practice what he believed. And and if she didn't, there was something wrong with her and there'd be arguments and put downs and, you know, she'd end up being really confused that she wasn't being a good wife. 
So not only did he spiritually and religiously abuse her and tell her what was going to be okay in the relationship but what wasn't, wasn't a discussion. It was she was literally manipulated or, or forced out of it. But also spiritually, what she believed and what she thought about the world and her worldview and, and how things worked were of no interest to him. He wasn't interested in her. He wasn't interested in what she loved or wanted or what her talents were or what her beliefs were and getting to know her and 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 working out a way where they could combine all of that and have the relationship that, that met both their needs. Mm. He wanted her to be convenient for him. So she had to give all of that up and then wondered why she got really badly depressed. And and you think about what that depression does. When you're depressed and when you're confused, everything builds on top of that and you can't think as clearly and you can't, you don't have the energy to take any steps and you are lost. You're lost within it until someone says to you, you know, you're entitled to your own beliefs. Your own beliefs are just as valid as his. Your ways are just as valid as his. Your culture, your your um, your group, they're all just as valid as his. You, you know, they're really, really important and critical. Tell me about them, you know. And that quite often starts to change that process of depression and confusion to, hang on a minute, you're right, I've never thought about that. But what we often do is say nothing or do nothing and that situation just gets worse and worse and worse. As you've been talking, Torna, I've been thinking, wow, this is all the stuff that we feel so awkward about bringing up. Mm. Not only is it family violence, Mm. as you're sharing now, it's race, it's religion, and we're not allowed to talk about that if we don't understand it, particularly if we don't share the same culture or we don't share the same religion. How hard is it to not be a bystander on this? And to say something, it, it, it can be quite hair-raising. I mean, to be a bystander who intervenes and says something is very courageous. It's a really big thing to do. I just go for this, and that is is that the target has rights to their beliefs and their ways of doing things. And when you focus on that, when you just point that out and say, yes, but your beliefs are just as valid and your hopes and dreams are just as valid and your your culture is just as valid and the way that you want to run your life or teach your children or what schools they you want them to go to is just as valid and and you don't even have to talk about their partner So we got some words we can use there, but did we also get some context perhaps? Whether it's the decision about what school the kids go to or the holidays that families observe or the celebrations they take part in, the food they eat at home, the language they speak, the stories they share, there are just so many daily opportunities to control someone's beliefs or way of living. But would you have considered that as being abusive or illegal? And perhaps part of the problem is that these things are often not considered at all, which can make getting convictions hard. So let's try and understand that a bit more with the lawyers from the Women's Legal Service, Yvette Seetel and Elise Whitmore. Look, spiritual and cultural abuse 
is really a form of emotional abuse. It doesn't have its own heading um, under the law. So really with this kind of abuse, you're looking at you know, someone, for example, being denied their identity or their cultural identity. That might look like someone being saying, you know, you're not black enough to be Aboriginal or you're not really an Aborigine. Uh, And it might be restraining your access to to, uh, your community and to cultural events. It really is used to entrench ideas around authority and power in a relationship. So, The example I'm thinking of where um, the man asserts that he's the head of the household um, in their religious practice, you know, they followed um, a faith where he was able to exert his authority over um, over her as his wife um, and that it was an entrenchment of some of those gender roles um, that meant that she felt quite powerless to make any decisions, to speak out, um, to confront him about things that she didn't agree with. And that was justified not only by his faith, but by hers, because she was also a member of this faith as well. So that's where um, some of this stuff can be really difficult for people to confront because you're not just talking about the legal implications for someone, you're talking about ideas of what they believe in, um, their faith, their idea of um, their soul and a really intrinsic part of who they are. So how does this manifest? What what happens? How is this proven? How are people found guilty of this um, with those kind of considerations that you mention? Well, again, it's a form of uh, emotional abuse, so it needs to be um, described in a particular way, again, by police and lawyers as part of uh, a pattern of family violence in a relationship. So um, it'll look different in each um, situation, but again, it's about asking questions about what that looks like and not making assumptions about what the impact might be. Because if it's cultural, it goes to the very identity of the person. And it might be stopping the person from using language, it might be stopping the person from teaching children of the relationship a language, it might be putting down the different Uh, culture of the other parent Um, and you might say well you speak like me or you look like me therefore you are like me and so it's really taking away from that person their own identity and belief in who they are and so the whole idea again is to really uh, wear that person down. Do you think the general community think about this stuff or even professions who might be involved in these types of legal matters is this stuff being thought about from my experience it's something that's often not committed to writing in a family violence order and again I think um, you know the police and the legal profession need to get a little bit better at identifying and asking the questions around this form of abuse who might be some common bystanders here Look, in relation to this, it might be um, the parish priest, it might be uh, schools where um, children go to particular uh, religious institutions and then don't see the the parent that practices their religion. Um, uh, It might be imams, it might be a whole range of people in our community uh, that see that someone's not practising their religion or their culture in a way that that they'd expect them to. And it might also be, um, you know, Aboriginal elders noticing that particular families aren't attending anymore. 
There's a bit to get our heads around with this. Some of it is about how a difference in culture or beliefs can be used to abuse or control someone else. Then we've heard about another bit, which is using a shared culture to control or confuse someone about what is okay. Plus, there's something else that I learned about, and it's something that the lawyers at the Women's Legal Service see often. I met a woman who works as an advocate in the cultural community that she's part of in Tasmania, and she's taken bystander action many, many times. I'm calling her Rose, but that's not her real name. What is your job? What do you do? Well, I'm actually, um, I've got different hats. <laughs> um, I volunteer for a non-profit organisation which is mainly um, targeted to a specific group. Uh, we set this up, um, I don't know, about 27 years ago, mainly to deal with um, settlement issues of uh, women. You know, from that we found that there's a lot of um, uh, issues from uh, family violence, there is um, uh, well, coercion or, or, or a threat from the other party to say, well, I'm going to get you deported. Um, so some of them will stay in the relationship because they don't know where to go. And that's where I come in if I get contacted or get the referral from, like, for instance, Women's Legal Service or other um, migrant agencies. Is that true? If you leave, you'll be deported. Well, no, no. Um, that's a, a misnomer, I guess, in terms of it's a controlling thing for the um, sponsor. When I mean sponsor, it's the, it's the spouse of the, the person that um, is here uh, under a partner's visa. So there, there is um, a part on the Migration Act which allows married applicant or, or a person who has been under the factory relationship to access that uh, part of the legislation so that their their um, application can continue um, if there is a family, family violence. And that's when the applicant needs to realise that, no, you can't be deported um, if you are eligible to access that provision under the Migration Act. So there's a special part of the Migration Act, yeah. particularly for that situation where a perpetrator might be using the threat of deportation to keep someone in the relationship. Yeah, exactly. There's a family violence provision there. How common are you helping women in this situation? Uh, unfortunately, it's very common. Um, I mean, I have about two or three cases a year, uh, and these are the only known ones, um, you know, that come to me. Um, and I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, women out there who does not know where to contact. And if they're not um, uh, privileged or they don't have the the knowledge where to go, they don't have any awareness of who, which services to contact, they they end up staying in that relationship. So, yeah. What sort of difficulties are your clients having in that time while they're trying to get their visa? I, I guess coming to mind for me is housing, mm. money, um, there's children involved. I mean, all of these sorts of things. Oh, there's a lot. Um, not only, obviously, there are um, emotional um, toll as well, and I become a counsellor as well and trying to, to appease them to say, well, look, you know, um, I... I I'll help you as the best I can. I know that you have um, that you have chance to get your permanent visa because a lot of services, like for instance, Centrelink, uh, housing, um, if they're not connecting to the right person and they just turn up in um, you know in the reception or in the office, they would just say you're not eligible. So then that probably um, will 
um, gives them the 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 heartache to think that oh, I better go back to my to my partner. Uh, in in which case, then the the family violence will continue. Like financially, they can't access the normal center link, but there is a there is a provision in the in in again in the legislation that um, special benefit can be uh, provided to um, to uh, family violence um, victims. What do you learn from the women that you work with? Uh, there's a lot of resilience. Um, there's a lot of um, courage. Um, they do have, I guess, um, especially for women from uh, certain countries, they, they have this sense of, um, I guess, responsibility that you have to stick with your husband, um, with your partner, um, and hoping, f- you know, for the best that things will change. Um, I know for a lady that have returned twice um, and, you know, and at the moment actually for this particular case, I don't really know what's happening with, with her because I've lost contact with her or she she's ceased contact with me. And I mean, I believe that the, the other party has been, have ceased her, her phone uh, because initially when she returned back, she returned to, to her partner, she's been contacting me um, and then it just stopped. So I started to to communicate like I was communicating with the other party as well because I know that she, he he was reading it, but unfortunately there, there's no response. So um, there's nothing we can do about it, unfortunately, except for the fact that I just have to get the family violence counselling support service to check up on it. Her, you know, my point is that I'd like to help you until you get your permanent visa at least. Um, that way. No matter what happened after you return, you no longer have to have that threat, you know, behind you to think that you will be deported because once you got your permanent visa, you can't. So, yeah. Why do you do what you do? Um, I have a lived experience as well. And I went through um, the same, um, you know, with the, with the visa status and things like that. And I came from... Um, remote area so that was uh, that was one of the other issues with the settlement issues and um, there, there was a group of women uh, that helped me um, to to get to where you know to be to be safe and um, yeah so that was about 30 how many, 33 years ago or something like that so um, yeah and I just had this mission I think that you know um, that I'd like to help women because I know how hard it is um, I, I know how it feels I, I, and and a lot of those women that I'm helping they don't know that I have that experience so when you know when it becomes a bit emotional um, and, and they sort of question their own um, decisions and then when I that's when I tell them I know because I've been there and I actually then have to explain to them that you know if I was able to get through that and, and, and reach you know, be where I am right now, I'm sure you can too. Uh, especially if those women have been controlled by the husband not to go out so they don't have any connection with anybody, not even friends, because they're not allowed to have friends. Um, so, yeah, they, there's just nowhere to, to, to go. Um, I do uh, some interpreting as well, and um, this is actually the one I was talking about that she went back to her husband twice and now we don't know what's happening. Imagine that this husband wouldn't even go with her to have um, a prenatal checkup and he wasn't even there at the birth of the child. Um, so 
in collusion with the um, with the nurse because I mentioned to that nurse and said there is a problem and said and, and she said to oh, I know so what what happened was that um, when she went to the toilet uh, because the mother-in-law was there all the time and um, so I followed her and I just gave her my card and then I just said to her contact me when you can um, so that's how I was involved with her Rose had many more stories about how she had taken bystander action, from booking hotel rooms for people, finding a safe time to help them with the packing, to another role she had as a migration agent. And in the next few episodes, we'll get tips about how we can safely support someone when they have made that decision or might be planning to leave an abusive relationship. There are, however, some traps that historically we tend to fall into when we're trying to help someone who's experiencing family violence. And Tawna Pittman reckons we should always have these in the back of our heads before we help. Victims of abuse are essentially frightened of being asked, what have you done wrong? Or what did you do to provoke this? Or why aren't you being a good wife? And that's been a very common response to victims of any kind. And it's endemic and it's part of our culture. It's like, well, you wanted to be with him. You made your bed, you lie in it. And so to actually contradict that and say nothing like what have you done or what do you do to provoke them, just to say your rights. So do we as bystanders perhaps, hang on, I'm just going to work out in my head whether this was just or not. Is that what we're doing and perhaps we need to stop doing? If a woman is showing signs of not being able to follow what is important to her and what are her own cultural and religious and spiritual beliefs, it's just asking her about that and saying, but your beliefs are really important. And, and that means you are not making a judgment, you're just starting a conversation. Does that make it feel easier? Maybe not. I mean, none of this feels easy. But I wonder if five episodes in, you're now seeing things and hearing things that you didn't used to. For Rose, 34 years after her own experience of family violence, she's not seeing enough change yet. Nothing has changed. Yeah, it's just just so disheartening that... um, well, most of the time, it, the perpetrators, men, they have not learned that that women are important, that they have to be respected, that they have to be, um, you know, they are human beings and th- they have the rights. Even though, you know, for instance, with the with the migration um, issues, that they actually have the right to come here, they, they they have they have the right to stay here. Even though they say, oh well, I bring you here, I paid for everything for you, and, and that sort of thing, but. You can't, you can't control them or you can't, you can't tell them to go back home because they might not be anything to go back to. If this episode has got you thinking about someone you know or your own relationship in a different way and you want the best advice or support, go to our show notes where there is a big list of services we trust. Now, in our next episode, we're going to hear about some of the stuff that is maybe what we picture when we think of family violence. He knew what he was doing and he punched holes in the wall because he's saying, this is what your head would look like if I punched you. 
We'll learn to ask questions about damage to property and threats, and there will also be things that we've not pictured. Well, look, often um, vets are in a really prime um, position as bystanders. That's next time on Rule of Thumb, a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. This podcast is funded by the Tasmanian Government's Department of Communities as part of the COVID-19 Family Violence Response.